Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Devon Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Boostchuck. I'm here with special guest, Margaret O'Connor. Welcome. Oh, thank you, MR. It's great to be back. Yes, it's been a couple years since you've been on the show. The time flies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. So we're here to talk today about celiac, celiac, celiac. Yeah, soul. Yeah. That one. <laughs> it's a little bit of a mouthful. So before we get into that, what led you into, for our listeners who haven't heard from you before, what led you into writing these books? Well, uh, in the case of, of this one, Journey of a Celiac Soul, A Second Chance at Life, uh, it's basically my journey of living 20 years with an undiagnosed autoimmune disease, celiac disease. And it's a disease which nearly took my own life. And um, I'm also writing it for fellow individuals that have this disease and want to move forward um, beyond this awful loss of your everyday, uh, what we considered regular foods or for even other family members, whether it's immediate, uh, friends, relatives that just can't seem to understand, oh, well, a little wheat won't hurt you. So it's, it's so sad in a way that um, you've probably heard or the listeners have heard, they think of celiac and they think, oh yeah, that's that fad diet. And mm -hmm. in all reality, that's the furthest thing uh, from what the reality of this disease is. Uh, we think of diabetes, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. They are all autoimmune diseases, just like celiac disease is. And the big problem with celiac disease is if an individual eats either uh, wheat and food that would contain like the grains of wheat, rye, or barley. For some reason, our system within our body sees this as like an invader and basically would end up attacking your own intestinal wall, the tissue there. And if you could picture like these projections, little projections that are like wavy-like, Mm -hmm. Avelli, they're there to take in any 
food that you eat, you know, to take in the most important part, the nutrients, the vitamins. Well, for some reason, when we ingest these grains, they almost act like sandpaper in a sense, and they completely remove all the villi. So what happens is you're eating and eating and zip, nothing is being absorbed. And that's why with celiacs, there are some a smaller amount of celiacs that uh, don't lose weight, but predominantly, uh, oh my God, you just lose awful weight. You're uh, constantly uh, hungry. You just can't get enough food in. You'll have a huge meal and within an hour later, you could start all over again. Um, you are just so tired. You have bone pain. Um, oh, there's a gazillion um, symptoms with this. But the scary part is, I mean, in a sense, thank God, when I finally uh, received a diagnosis, the doctor said, uh, Margaret, you're a lucky woman. And I thought, what is he talking about? You know, And uh, he said, you would have been dead within six months. So right now, there is uh, no medication that you can take. The only um, thing that will help you is going on what they refer to as a celiac diet. And that means uh, any of your old foods that you, your normal everyday foods, your different breads, your cakes, your cookies, your pies, your pastas. Uh, that's completely gone. So you have to replace that with uh, new grains like uh, rice grain, uh, teff, uh, arm, armor math, I'm killing the name, um, you know, uh, uh, different grains. Yeah, or you can do nut-based, there's uh, almond-based flour that you can use now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not cheap alternatives to what we see as a normal diet, but at the same time, it's what we have to work with. Yes, because um, this uh, Dr. Alessio Fasano, he came from Italy and he was basically uh, flabbergasted. Where are the celiacs here in the United States? He would see children uh, basically in a month, he would see a lot of children and they all had celiac disease. So he comes over here to the University of Maryland and okay, he was here a week, he was here a month, he was here five months, a year, well, wait a minute, what is going on? And this was really unbelievable back uh, in 1994, the uh, agency the um, National Health Institute, they came out with something like about an 800 page report and it included uh, digestive diseases and even the gastrointestinal diseases. Mm -hmm. And there was not one word, a mention of celiac. So basically you had the agency which is supposed to protect any uh, American, their health, they had no idea that celiac uh, disease was even over in our country. And in Italy, 
say you went in as a child or as an adult and presented like with symptoms. So from the time your symptoms started to the time of your diagnosis in Italy is only about two or three weeks. All right, let's come back here to the US and between the time the symptoms uh, initiate and the time you're diagnosed was uh, 10 years. Yeah, that sounds about right for the US. It's There's a mass disconnect between our health organizations across the world. We don't share knowledge. Obviously, we share knowledge a diagnosis of celiac would not take 10 years in the US when it takes three weeks, two weeks, or six weeks even in Italy. I know, it's, it's just uh, uh, unreal. So uh, thank God, uh, what I'm trying to say is thank God that this doctor made his way over here because then he was able to access blood samples from the American Red Cross and found like a gazillion individuals that definitely had celiac disease. But the problem was due to, uh, you know, the privacy, uh, he didn't, he couldn't contact these individuals, mm -hmm. you know, to let them know that um, they had this disease. Right, but, there are HIPAA laws we know protect us as individuals for our medical things but at the same time when a medical doctor like this one in 1994 was able to find out that so many people have this disease they are also prohibited from contacting anyone yes so their hands are tied it's um uh, it's it's almost like damned if you do and damned if you don't mm -hmm. it's one thing after another it's the laws don't make sense and then the practices of sharing information don't make sense. So where's the breakdown actually at within our medical world? There's so many. <laughs> I mean, it's so sad. Uh, um, you know, when you think of the millions of dollars that uh, go into research and everything, and what we just seem to somehow be missing um, the main components, things are. It is really, really sad. I mean, our medical field right now is a debacle because we pay so much money to research all these different diseases, when in reality, we could probably pick up the phone to any other country in the world and say, do you have research on? And they probably have our 10 years advance from where we are. Uh, this uh, Dr. Tom O'Brien, uh it was either him or Dr. Fasano, and now I can't remember, but they were, I think it was Dr. Tom O'Brien. He's, he's another um, wonderful doctor related to celiac disease. And anyway, he's had uh, uh, several seminars on celiac disease, but he was saying that from the time basically, and this is maybe going back about five years ago, I heard this um, in the United States, say a re research paper comes out you know with some new advance to the time it would re reach your doctor would be about 15 or plus years and then again that so there again that means your diagnosis is uh waiting all that time 
mm-hmm. when, when the information is actually right there. It's already out there. It is. So how do we go from, okay, this is how basically diseases get labeled as a bad diet. I'm sure you've seen this. You don't know what that is. So you try these bad diets and they call it the celiac diet is a bad diet. It's not. No, the, um, the big movie stars and the tennis players got on it. And aside from celiac disease, there's non-celiac sensitivity. And there's uh, 18 million Americans that have that. Now, I'm not saying they have that, but maybe that's what they have because they felt, um, you know, better getting off of the wheat. Mm-hmm. But uh, in a sense, it was a godsend for uh, individuals that have celiac disease. We number three million. And the food quality left a lot to be desired. Um, I was diagnosed back in 1986. And it was awful. There was bread out there, but unless you toasted that bread, say you just wanted to make an everyday sandwich and just slap some butter on it, mm-hmm. you know, not don't put it in the toaster. Well, yeah, you can try that, but I mean, it would basically crumble. And uh, some of the companies, oh my God, it was really. But what I'm trying to say is after they brought this uh, fad thing to it, the manufacturers, of course, jumped on the bandwagon because they can see the big money in their pockets. Exactly. That, uh, thank God for us, because then it greatly improved uh, the quality of the product. But there were all those years before it became a fad diet, and I shouldn't even be complaining because there were women uh, at our support group and they, they had had this from the time they were a baby. So you think back in the 1920s and 30s, uh, basically rice and bananas was about it. I mean, I mean that's awful to say, but, uh, and, and individuals today that get it, really, I, I know it's just, uh, I guess what it is is, your whole normalcy of what you consider everyday eating is immediately and forever taken away from you. And there's just such a feeling of, um, well, when I was diagnosed, it was such an isolating feeling. No one never seemed to hear the word celiac. Uh, No other family members and my family had it. Uh, no friends had it. So there was just like this great sense of um, isolation. And uh, again, that normalcy of eating was just, it was like a, you know, a switch went off day and night. And uh, I happened to be in my kitchen when I received a call from my doctor. And he said, I think I know what you have. But he said, I want you to go in tomorrow and we'll run one more test. And at first, when I received his call after waiting 20 years, I thought, oh my God, finally, this is wonderful. Because I had been to uh, eight different doctors and uh, there were a number of them that 
obviously when I would present to a doctor, I was very emaciated. I was so thin. I would look like I was anorexic. So basically they would just like label me, oh, you're anorexic. Mm -hmm. The help you need is at the psychiatrist's office. They wouldn't even run any tests. So what I'm trying to say is when I finally got a diagnosis, I, would, I just got so excited. Finally, I know I'm not crazy. I mean, let's face it, who knows your body better than you do? Oh, I understand completely. Back in 2011, when I was going through my medical issues, I dropped almost 70 pounds overnight. And the doctors couldn't find anything wrong with, you know, and I had so many doctors say, it's all in your head. No, it's not. Oh, in yeah. my head. Well, technically it was in my head, just not the way that they were thinking because I had a mass there that was causing all sorts of issues. But at the same time, getting a doctor to say, Hey, we have an answer. That was like a glorious day the clouds opened up the sun shined in yes. i mean everything it, it's there it's it's wonderful but in my case uh, unfortunately that that immediately disappeared mm -hmm. because this doctor went on to say if i think i know what you have your whole way of eating is going to uh forever change and it was like then he was still talking, but I think my mind was like just frozen, you know, trying to take it in. And it was his last sentence that he left me with, you will never again be able to eat your regular favorite cookies. So I remember putting the phone down and I happened to look across the room and there was this one cabinet door open and um, I could see like Duncan Hines brownies mm -hmm. and there was like a chocolate cake and there was something else. And I thought it was like all of a sudden those foods, I I'm not gonna be able to eat them anymore. And then right away, my mind went back to never again will you be able to eat your favorite cookies. Mm -hmm. Well, this was the winter time and we had a, a, about 10 boxes of uh, those delicious chocolate uh, Girl Scout mint cookies oh. in the freezer. So now remember, remembering I can eat anything, you know, eat and eat. I grabbed eight boxes and I brought them upstairs and it was anxiety. It was this awful panic mm -hmm. that overtook me because I knew if the test came in the next day, well, next year, I'm not gonna be able to be eating these cookies. So, you know, I, I basically devoured them. And then I remember my mother and sister came in and they saw all these boxes, <laughs> empty Girl Scout boxes on the table. <laughs> you know, and they wondered what happened. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. But uh, anyway, it was that, that's how it hit me. But of course, everyone's, you know, individual, how it, how it might um, hit you, but, associated with that idea that panicking is um okay you get the diagnosis so what was your everyday life that was your regular eating habits but now you have a diagnosis so you have to move forward 
Because if you're trapped at thinking back, well, look at over here, this is what I used to eat. Uh, you're gonna be almost like in a state of denial and you're not gonna be moving forward with your life. And um, there was uh, William J. Warden and he wrote a book, Grief Counseling, Grief Therapy. And he had like different steps that you would go through. Mm -hmm. And the first one was like to accept the reality of uh, the loss. And of course, in our sense, we're referring to regular uh, everyday foods. And when I was first diagnosed, it took oh, about a good four months before I really started to feel like my own self health wise. Mm -hmm. So at each meal, my other family members, I would see their plates, which of course had uh, what I used to eat and I had my celiac food. And there just, there was no problem. But then at that time, when I started to feel better, it was like a switch went off. And at that particular meal, boy, did I notice their plates. It was almost like there were neon lights around them beckoning me, come <laughs> take this food. But what I'm trying to say is all that pastime, there was never a problem. And it just nailed me. I mean, it really uh, hit me. It was um, very uncomfortable, uh, an uneasy feeling, uh, a great deal of frustration. So anyway, again, that's how that hit me. But if someone didn't go 20 years and you were diagnosed a, a lot faster, well, then you're immediately going to be uh, faced with the reality of the loss. But again, it's actually the, uh, the best thing that can happen because uh, you want to move forward with your life. You don't want to be stuck thinking about what you can't have and then there was another step, uh, experience the pain of grief. Well, here again, really look at the foods that you never can have. And you think of like the, the irreversibility of that uh, every day or, or the finality, just that whole continuum. And initially, yeah, it will make you, you feel blue or sad but the reverse of that is to think, well, look, at it's bad enough. Uh, perhaps I can't eat these foods. And now you want me to examine, <laughs> you know, examine any feelings around that. But if you keep those feelings and you figure, oh, let me just maybe push them down, you know, uh, uh, eventually they're going to come out. And this time when they come out, it's not going to be sadness. It's going to be a, a great anger, uh, a rage, um, resentment. And we all know when we see a little child has a, a tantrum, that's one thing. But to see an adult, uh, you can remember that they, they speak very loudly. And I'm just like giving you sort of an example. In this case, it would maybe be something like, well, why can't I have those foods? Everyone else in my family is eating those foods. Oh, I, I get it all the time. I have my own food sensitivities. So my sensitivities are not like anything else in the family. So I watch them eat 
or of course, dependent on the sensitivity, they can't have their foods when they're around me. So then they get mad at me because they can't have whatever it is I'm sensitive to. <laughs> I, I know it does. It brings out uh, an array uh, of emotions for sure. But that's actually, it's, it's the best thing, you know, to move forward. Mm -hmm. uh, but that idea that you just said about, you know, something that they can't have, and then you see it. And um, the third step is to adjust to an environment uh, in which the deceased is missing, or in our case, it would be the loss of our food missing. Mm -hmm. And I remembered uh, that first time, as I say, when I saw those plates, and then they noticed I was looking at their plates and then they were afraid to pick up their fork. And, and I, I said, wait a minute, we, we, have, we have to have a talk here. This isn't going to work. Uh, you know, and I told them, yeah, it's, it's hard right now, but please, uh, I would feel awful if you stopped eating, you know, what you can still eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all agreed. And then that, that was the best thing that could ever happen. But really it is, it's, it's not only being like, you know, diagnosed with a disease, one person, if they're within a family unit, uh, it's like the whole landscape uh, for each meal uh, is changed. You it know, does. the dynamics. It does. I mean, if you have one family member in your household of say three, and one person can't have, say, dairy. Everyone knows cheese, milk, and eggs. Right. You can't have it. Now, what do you actually make for dinners? Because if you're an Italian family, what do you eat? You eat your pastas, you eat your eggs, you eat your cheeses, you eat, you know, how do you take all that away from the family? So you actually have to be conscious about what you're making. Well, then we go into celiac, which is no gluten gluten so wheat basically well that gets bread cookies cook cakes uh anything else pastas now you have to go to different brands well today we have an entire aisle in our sh shopping markets for gluten-free which is great well 20 30 years ago that wasn't the case oh no and then it was <laughs> it was scary when you were looking for an item, because let's face it, if you don't have this issue and your, your bread wasn't there, well, then you just go down the bread aisle and there's uh, brand ABC. You, you, know, you, you walk out of that store with some loaf of bread and it's the same thing basically with whatever the product is. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just not, you know, not only the store brand, but there's others uh, in there. And um, there was a, some talk show on and uh, the, the person was just going on with, it was ridiculous, was saying that these, these people, they're, they're getting upset because we're taking their product. Well, hello, if that's the only thing that we can eat. Yes, we, yeah, we, when we you are to, upset. Yeah, see, if you have dairy products, it's Dahlia cheese or dairy, that's plant-based. So if someone, is buying all of it up and there isn't any for someone that actually needs it, they get mad because the shelf is empty. 
Well, let's put this in terms of a normal person. If you go to the store and your favorite cookie is missing because they're sold out, you get mad. This is same principle. Yeah. It's yeah, and I have the the dairy issue too. So if oh, I go out, like <laughs> to a restaurant uh, and uh, they have a, a gluten uh, free. Um, a mix there say for a waffles or something but um they only carry regular milk they don't carry like uh, what you think they would today like mm -hmm. almond milk at least or something else mm -hmm. well oh but we can we can make that with water well no i <laughs> i don't want to have watered down pancakes <laughs> right it, it's it, it's getting better it's not there yet but it is getting better Yes, and in, in my case, it was great. Uh, a few years ago, uh, a woman that opened this little um, bistro had celiac disease, and it was like a dream. You could go in there, and she would, uh, whether you had celiac disease or a dairy issue or whatever, she just had those little extras. She had that almond milk. She had uh, some type of a gluten dairy-free uh, like butter to, you know, put on your toast. Um, and unfortunately, then the pandemic came and they, they closed shop. But um, well, maybe hopefully they are able to reopen as the economy comes back, hopefully, but we do need these little bistros to come back and be thriving because there's people like you all up three million people or more, depending on what the disease is, that have these dairy issues, that have the celiac issues, that have the other issues that we call fad diets and they're actually medical issues. Yes, and I guess we don't, this, I'm not, I hope I'm not coming across like, oh, look at a pity party. No, it's not that. We want just a fair share that when we go out to eat, that the waiter is going to be telling us the truth if that's gluten-free or not. Because if this is just seen as a fad diet, well, then the waiter isn't going to take this seriously. And right. um, Dr. O'Brien said, basically, you have to think of when you're eating every forkful, it's either inflammatory or it's flammatory. And if we get into a situation where there's gluten, it's not just that one-time deal. Those antibodies are made and that uh, anti-inflammatory reaction can go on anywhere from three to six months. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just all these hiddens or, oh, you can have a little, uh, a little wheat. Well, that's not always that the case. <laughs> Yeah, it won't hurt you. Yeah. And and look at the, look at the people that don't even have like celiac disease. Look at the people that have an awful um, um, allergy, anaphylactic that mm -hmm. can kill them. Mm -hmm. And it's because sometimes people will poo poo even allergies and they they don't seem unfortunately, you know, to to understand the seriousness uh, with them as well. No, they really don't. And then unless you actually have the disease or the 
reaction to whatever it is, people don't understand it. And we have to change the culture that we are all individuals. We all have our own problems medically. Some mm -hmm. of them we can see visibly and some of them we don't. If we have a food allergy and celiac disease is technically an allergy, if you go through it, is an anti, um, there's a lot of medical jargon, but we put it under allergy, then it's more, okay, now you can't have it because it's an allergy, quote unquote, quote, but it's better to deal with. Yeah, and that's why the, the uh, people will say, well, how are you calling it an allergy when it's or an autoimmune disease and now it's an allergy? The restaurant industry, mm -hmm. uh, they will label it, you know, yeah, they definitely label it as an allergy, but whether it's celiac disease, whether it's someone that has the disease of alcoholism, mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, it's 24 seven. You, it doesn't go away. Whether, whether it's in your own home, you know, if someone, the other family members don't have it, you open your refrigerator and it's there. Or, you know, you go out to your friend's house, mm -hmm. uh, you go to any store, uh, even in a hospital, or um, there's vending machines around. Um, basically, food and drink is practically everywhere um, you go. And it, it is an awful like temptation because you see like a donut, um, the smell of like fresh break, baked bread, you drive yourself crazy. Mm -hmm. But uh, as an adult, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that I know how sick I will feel. But I really feel sorry for the families that have younger children. And then of course they go out, uh, to their friend's house and there's that awful uh, peer pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's when they, of course, will obviously indulge in the other food uh, or uh, unfortunately another um, neighbor, whatever, doesn't take this as being serious and is maybe serving them something that obviously, um, you know, isn't weed free. Correct. But we are almost out of time. So where can our listeners and our viewers find you and more about your book? Yes, uh, they can go to Amazon uh, for my book. And uh, my website is yourradicaltruth.com, yourradicaltruth.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Margaret. Thank you, Emil. And for our viewers and our listeners, happy reading. And we're out. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's so funny. I'm hearing your voice. <laughs> Not seeing you. Yes, this is why we changed from just radio to a visual because it brings us more together. Okay. So I will get you the links over as soon as I have them. Thank you so and, much again. And I'll do, I'll do a blog. So then I'll mention your, you know, show. Awesome. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Take it easy. Thanks again. You too. Bye-bye.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.